Uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible. Um, they're no longer on the lamps. There, there's some under the chairs. There's some back there. If you need one and you don't want to get out, just raise your hand and, and we'll throw one at you. So uh, we, we want you to have a Bible. Hey, I want to I just kind of say a couple things before we get started. One is we have a crew here, uh, our Church Project Southlands crew. Uh, some of them came up, so welcome them. They're about to, about to start going every single week, and um, we've been praying for you guys. We're excited to see what God's already doing with you, and we can't wait to go down there and flood Aurora. And so, you guys, we're, we're so glad that we're, you're here. Um, another thing I want to tell you, just as Church Project goes, our, our church down in Houston Today is a, a, a huge day for our church in Houston. God has been growing that church over the last three or four years to the point where the building that they are in just really couldn't contain them anymore, especially their kids area. They have a lot of kids. If you've ever been down there, it's just insane, all the energy that's happening down there. And so they decided to, to kind of move forward and, and get into a new space. And today's the day that this is their first Sunday in an old, I think it was a Kroger or something. Is it Kroger, Keith? Is that what it was? Huge Kroger, they're going into that thing, and, and you know what's awesome about it is they're still keeping the, the values of being simple, biblical, relevant. I mean, they're not building a $10 billion building. It's a square box like this. They believe that that's where it's at, just being simple and letting the gospel speak and letting this, this life-changing message just come about. And so they're, they're meeting this morning for the first time in their huge building, and something that happened a couple of weeks ago, which was very exciting for the church at large, just for the body at large. One of my friends started a church down in the Woodlands called Woodlands Point. Jason Johnson started that maybe five years ago-ish, somewhere in there. My other friend, Jason Shepard, started Church Project, you know, three or so years ago. Two vibrant, awesome churches moving and going together. Well, my friend Jason Johnson felt called to to move on and to start writing and speaking. He's a very, very gifted communicator and author, brilliant man. And so he stepped down from that church as the lead pastor, and their elders got a prompting to start talking about church project. What would it look like for the body, the church body, for two churches to marry together and become one? You don't hear of this very often. This week is the last week of, of uh, church uh, Woodlands Point meeting as separate Next week, the two bodies are merging together and becoming one, and that is beautiful. That is a success. God's, God's doing amazing things around the world, and in Houston, let's continue to pray for our brothers and sisters there for church project. Hopefully, you can plan vacations around going down there and seeing what God's doing because it's really cool. And then also, when you're going down into Aurora, jump in with these guys and celebrate with them. This is the body. Guys, I love this body, so... One other thing I want to say before we get started, Jeremy and Brittany and, and, and Robbie up here leading us in worship, I want to thank you guys for that. I want to thank you for that. Jeremy, he won't say this because this is him. Uh, the, the, the first song that he said, this may be a little weird, and he had problems getting started because that was the first time he's ever done it, right? Jeremy, you just wrote that like this week? <laughs> Je Jeremy wrote that song and the song after that, you guys... It is so cool. I call it the first anointing. And, and, and this is what I mean by the first anointing. I love singing songs by Chris Tomlin, David Crowder, or whoever it may be. I, I love it. God is worshiped in there. But there's something super special about when our own worship guy is writing songs, and it's a first anointing that we get to jump in on. And so whenever you see him today, give him a hug and encourage him because that was a blessing. And, and I know God is just pumped when, when his people come together and sing. 
And when we get to sing songs that are given to us, that's incredible. And so thank you for jumping out, Jeremy. <coughs> Woohoo! Okay, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56 is what we're going to go through today. We have been going through Luke uh, for at least this entire year. We're going verse by verse through the, the, the book of Luke. We believe there's a, an incredible story in the book of Luke because it's, it's Luke painting a picture as to who Jesus is. And as a church, as we're starting, as we're beginning, what a better picture to paint and what a better character to study than who Jesus is. So as we go through uh, these verses today, I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited for them. Uh, I say this every week because I, I get to just kind of land in these, these, these verses a week before you guys do. And I, I, I begin to pray and let God show me some amazing things. And my problem isn't, it isn't ever, what am I going to say? It's what am I not going to say? Because when, when the scripture, and you sit down with the scripture, when any of us sit down with scripture, and we ask God to reveal who he is through scripture, he'll do it. And he'll do it in a very personal and passionate way to each and every one of us. And so I encourage all of us, grab our Bibles, highlight in them, memorize it, become lost in the stories and the text of what Jesus is sharing. So let's look at Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. I'll read through it real quick. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told him why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Verse 48. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. When Jesus was still preaching, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. He said, Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's mother and father. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you will show us some amazing things through this scripture today. I pray that our, our hearts will be beating faster. I pray that our mind will be racing with thoughts. I pray that your spirit will show us who you are today. Thank you for bringing us here. It's your name we pray. Amen. 
as I look through this passage, I, I can't help but smile on, on multiple levels. There's, there's an incredible story going on in here. And, and, and I want to just kind of look at verse 40, okay? Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. Well, I want to hit pause right there on a crowd welcomed him. If you, if you kind of back up a little bit and look at the verses before, look at last week. What did we talk about last week? We talked about this place and the Gerasenes asked him to leave. So Jesus, last week in the, in the, in the passage before, these people were so overwhelmed with the power of Jesus that they said, Jesus, would you please leave? They asked him to leave. Now look what happens in verse 40. Jesus comes and a crowd does what? Welcomes him. For they were all expecting him. They were sitting there. The Galileans were sitting there. They welcomed him. They wished, they wished that he would come. They were waiting for him. They received him gladly. Their hearts were accepting of Jesus coming. They had experienced him before. Because as the story goes, Jesus was here in Galilee, sailed across the wild sea, calm the sea, all this, went over to the Gerasenes, and they said, leave, and then he goes back. And so these people had already experienced the power of Jesus once, and they were so excited to see Jesus come back. As we look through Luke and we study the person of Jesus, one of the things that jumped out at me with just this, that the crowd welcomed him, was this, is that Jesus never, ever let the crowds dictate his ministry, what he would do, how he would say it. He never let the crowds adjust his position or his intention or his direction because of the crowds. How about us in our life? Do we let the crowds dictate what we think, how we feel, what we do, whether we say the right thing or not? Well, so many studies have been shown about someone that's in need it, you know, someone's in need over here, and, and you let a whole bunch of crowds go by and see this person in need, everyone in the crowd will think, oh, someone else will help them, so I'm not going to help them, right? There's something that happens in crowds. We get lost in crowds. And Jesus, if, if he was a flake out, he would let the crowds affect how he would say and what he would do and the power that was coming out of him. See, but Jesus in John 14, 23 said, I'm about my father's mission, my father's will. I'm about doing what my father has put me to do here on earth. What about us and our lives? Jesus was not a weak man. He had feelings. He had feelings, but he was not a weak man. And as, as, a, as a man goes, if he is rejected in one place and then accepted in another place, if Jesus was anything like me, my emotions would be like this, Right? My emotions would be all over the place. Last week, when no one wanted me, I'd be like, woo-hoo, poor me, right? But this week, when everyone's ready, ready for me and accepting and their hearts are open, I'm like, I'm the man, right? See, Jesus is steady. He was not a weak man. His concern was to please his father and not the crowds. When you lead, you will be addressed with passion. What I mean by that is this. As, as you wake up and as you put on your shoes, as you go about your day, when you lead the way that God's asked you to lead or you live your life the way that God has asked you to live your life, there's going to be some people that will accept you and there will be some people that will reject you. And what does that do to your DNA, the makeup of you? See, I've been a pastor for a lot of years 
Um, I've, I've led worship a lot of years. I've spoken a lot of messages. I've used a lot of words. And something that, that just kind of happens when, when you're in this position, like Jeremy leading or myself, it doesn't happen so much with you guys, which I'm so thankful for. But in other places, I, I would immediately get off the stage from leading or get off the stage from speaking, and there would be a line of people. And the line of people, the first person would come up with tears in their eyes. They're like, man, that was awesome. Thank you for that worship. It was just incredible. Or, Aaron, thank you for that message. It was just what God had for me, just with tears, like, thank you. I'm like, yes, praise God, right? And then the next person behind him would be like, that was the worst message I've ever heard in my life. Like, that was terrible, or that music was too loud, or on and on and on and on. You see, the deal is this. If we are to live off of our feelings and what the crowd says about who we are, we are going to be tossed about, like James says, in a, in a ship, in a sea, just going from here, happy, depressed, satisfied, dissatisfied. We cannot find our DNA or our actions on the crowd. Our job should be doing the will of our Father, who is Jesus. Question, are you and I more about doing the Father's will or about pleasing the crowds? Thank God that as Jesus arrived, I'm so glad this crowd was ready for him. But he kept doing what Jesus asked him to do. Amen. Let's, let's move on here. So uh, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. At this rate, we're never going to get through this passage because i got to stop right there too. Like they were all expecting him. If you purpose to do good, if you purpose to speak life, to help, to love, you will never run out of opportunity to do good. If you purpose to live the way that God's asked you to live and to love others and to love life, you will never run out of opportunity to show others that love. See, the needy will always be with us. People who need love are around us every single day. See, Jesus was in Galilee. He left, and he came back to the place that he had just come from, and there were still people that needed him. They were expecting. They were waiting for him. Again, Jesus steps on the shore, and ministry met him the moment he stepped on the shore in Galilee. There's people around us every single day that need love. Do you know that? Do we take the time to slow down and to see people that are hurting? Do we take the time to smile at someone? I did something this morning. Really, it's really kind of out there and weird. I was driving by somebody. They, they were walking. It was kind of slow, and I waved at them, and they smiled, and I kept going. Weird, huh? But there was a smile. There was a moment, and I don't know if that smile was for me. It was probably more for me than him. And that wave was probably more for me than it was for him. But there was a sweet interaction right there. Do we purpose those interactions? Do we look for those, those moments where we can grab Jesus and we can grab people and we can look them in the face and smile and say, it's okay. Life is okay and God loves you. It's beautiful that the crowds were expecting him. I got to tell you, Greeley is expecting Jesus right now. Everywhere that we go are people that need the love of Jesus. And they're expecting him. They're expecting something. Will we be the ones to smile and to speak and to show them the love of Jesus? Let's go on. I, I kind of want to parallel right here. So if you need to kind of skim read this section and, and, and all that, then, then go ahead while we're talking through this. But I, I want to point.
point out these two figures right here because Jesus landed, the crowd was expecting him and excited and receiving him, and yeah, Judas is here. And then it goes on like two stories because this man, Jairus, he's a rich uh, synagogue ruler. This man, he has all the resources. He has all the power. He has all the connections. Everything is, as it, is at his disposal, right? And then we have this woman. And in this version it's, it's of the Bible that we read, it's a little difficult to tell. You can read other versions of the Bible, and it, it'll tell you that this woman had spent everything that she had to be healed. So we have this rich guy whose daughter of 12 years old is dying. He comes to Jesus. And I imagine if any of you have kids, what you would or wouldn't do um, for your child that may be dying. I would, I would do anything for Zoe and Audra if they were dying. So Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, comes up and says, hey, would you please come to my house because my daughter is dying. And, and Jesus says, yes, I will go. Where there's death in a house, I will go. Where there's pain in a house, I will go. Yes, I will come with you. And so he begins this journey to go to Jairus' house. And as he's going along the way, this woman, this woman who had lost everything and spent everything to be healed of this bleeding and this, this sickness that she had for 12 years, by the way, 12 and 12, you can kind of look at that and study it on your own if that is interesting to you. But she comes up, and as they're moving, she touches and reaches out and touches the tassels of Jesus. There's so many people, and she has so much faith that she can touch the tassel of Jesus. And think, maybe just touching Jesus in his tassels as he goes by, this is going to be enough to heal me. Well, Jesus stops, and, and he notices it. But I want to look at these two stories right here. Both of these people, the rich man who has everything, and the lady who has spent everything, both need the healing touch of Jesus in their life, don't they? They both come to him as desperate people. The rich man, he had all the connections, all the money, and his daughter was still dying. The poor lady who had spent everything, she had no other option. She was at her wit's end. She was done. And she came desperately just trying to touch Jesus. Are you going to go to him desperate in your life? And do we come to Jesus desperate in our life? See, some of us, we feel like Jarius. We feel like the rich guy. Like, we got everything. Hey, God, I got this. I, I, I got this. I can, I can handle this. Like, I can just put it on the credit card. I can just call someone. I can do whatever. I can maneuver things on in my, with my own power to help this situation. So some of us, we're like, Jesus will come to you just, you know, when, when we've tried everything else. But really, I mean, we, we got this. Some of us are there, very full of pride. Full of pride. Others of us, we, we feel like Satan has whooped us so much. We've spent everything. We have no energy whatsoever. And the best that we can do is kind of reach out and try to grab the tassel as Jesus goes by us. Both of these people are desperate to be touched by Jesus. When everything that we've tried fails, do we go desperately to Jesus? And do we have to wait for that moment to be desperate to touch Jesus? Jarius, Jesus is waiting because he's on his way to his house, right? He's on his, Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. 
and Jesus is going along, and this, and this lady touches him, and Jesus stops. So if I'm, if I'm Jarius right now, and Jesus stops and starts addressing the crowd, and I know that my daughter's about to die, what would you do? Would you interrupt Jesus at that moment? Would you be like, hey, listen, Jesus, you don't understand. My daughter's dying right now. I'll pick you up and carry you if I have to. We should be running, like post-haste, let's get home. My daughter's about to die. And yet Jesus, what does he do? He stops, and he starts addressing the crowd. Who touched me? If I'm Jairus, I'm like, come on. She's been bleeding for 12 years. What's another two hours? Who cares? Let's go. Like, come on. My daughter's about to die. And Jesus stops right here, and he addresses the crowd. And if I'm Jairus, I'm going, come on. God's timing's always better in our life. Do you know that? God's timing is always better in our life. Just look at Jesus. Jesus does this multiple times in the Bible. What happens to his friend Lazarus? You know, Mary and Martha and and Lazarus. What happens to to him? Lazarus dies. Jesus is in another city, and they send word to him. Hey, hey, Lazarus, you know, he's going to die. And Jesus is like, all right, I'm just going to chill here for a little while. And he stays. Lazarus dies. And Jesus slowly makes his way back to Lazarus and raises him from the dead. Isn't that kind of odd timing that he would do that? What about the, what about the storms that we just looked at a, little, a couple per, uh, verses, passages ago? Wild winds and waves and everyone's about to die and Jesus is down taking a nap. He's like, not yet, not yet time. Finally, he comes up when the ship's just about to tip and he's like, quiet. And the water stops. What's up with Jesus' timing? His timing is always better in our life. How many of you feel like right now you just need Jesus? Your life is full of a storm. There's things going on. And you don't understand why Jesus isn't doing something. Post haste. My daughter's dying, God. Come on. Post haste. Do something now, God. Post haste. Some of us, we need to stop and we need to realize that Jesus' timing is always better. There's Jarius. Probably really anxious, huh? I would be. Then we have the woman. She's just lost in the crowd. She's just desperate. She's lost everything for 12 years. She's trying to hide. She's at her wit's end. And I think Jesus shows us a cool, a cool lesson here in this. I think she's embarrassed. You don't want to speak up and say, I've been sick. I've been bleeding for 12 years. I'm desperate. I need Jesus. I think she's embarrassed. I think part of her is she just wants to be in the crowd. And as Jesus comes by, she just wants to see if this will work. Like reach out and touch Jesus and and kind of disappear. And you see in the passage, she does that. She tries to disappear in the crowd. She's like, yes. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Who? Who? Which one of you? Power has come out and someone is healed. Who was it? And what does she have to do? She came forward and she's told him that she had touched him. This whispers secrets in our life that has taken me a lot of years to come to understand. See, Aaron, I can be a very proud man. I can go about life my own way, and I can try to do things in my own time. And especially when it's those things that are hard or addictions or things that hold me up. I've learned a secret. The secret is this. What are we addicted to? What, what are the things that God is working in our hearts? What are the things that are hard in our life? If we keep them to ourselves, guess what? They're going to be to ourselves. But I've seen chains broken. I've seen addictions broken by us speaking words to other people. Church has a fancy word called accountability for this, right? 
Are we in such a relationship in our house churches and with our brothers and sisters here that if we're struggling with something, we can go to them and we can speak that to them? We can say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Would you please pray for me? Would you please help me through this? And I've seen something happen in the lives of men and women and in my own life that the things that I'm struggling with, the things that I need help with, the moment I speak it and the moment I ask for forgiveness, the moment that I I bring it to life, it begins to die in me and God begins to heal it because I've dropped my pride and I've said, yes, God, I need you. And I see that in this moment, this lady, God says, who touched me? And I think she has an opportunity to either hide in the crowd and run away and be dealing with that the rest of her life. Or she has a moment of clarity where she can come up and say, yes, it was me. I'm desperate for you and I need you. How about you? Do you try to tackle life on your own? your addictions, your brokenness, the things that you're struggling with, the hard things in life, are you trying to do it on your own? Stop, stop. Get in relationship with the people at our house church, with the people here, and let's do life together. The moment we speak that death into life, it begins to die. Amen? What do you need to speak out? Okay, let's speed this thing up. So, Jesus is is speaking. Jesus' time is always perfect. If you look in verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone had come from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, your daughter is dead. Jesus' timing is always perfect. Ours is not. Jesus' is. He goes down to the house and in, in, again, in this version that I, that I read today, it doesn't uh, do exactly what some of the other versions say. But in this version, he says, he did not let anyone go in. That's what, that's what this NI, the new NIV says. I'm still trying to get between the new NIV and the old NIV. So I'm old school. I'm like, old NIV. One of these days I'll change. But here we go. He, he says, he did not let anyone go in. In the old NIV, you know what it says? It says that he put the people out of the house. As he, as he walked up, people are wailing and crying, and Jesus is now going to heal this, 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 this girl that was sick, and he says he put the people out of the house. This whispers a great thing to me. How many people in your life are naysayers? Do you have naysayers in your life? Don't look at your wife or your husband if, they, if that's them. Don't nudge the person next to you. But the people, the people in your life when God's doing something incredibly good in your life and moving and stirring in your heart, but then immediately the naysayers come. It, oftentimes, we talk about this a lot, oftentimes it's the people that love us the most, the people that don't want to see us change or the people that might be challenged by us changing. God is saying something. He wants to do an incredibly big miracle in our life, and then the naysayers come. And they begin to whisper. They begin to laugh. They're mourning. They're like, Jesus can never do that in your life. You know, we see this. The people begin to laugh. The naysayers are there. And what does Jesus do? He puts them out. These these people here, they're they're the the healing haters. They they don't want to see people be healed. Like they're just speaking death into this moment. And Jesus puts them out. People who do not believe that Jesus can do what he's going to do. Again, this kind of points to me as I look at this and I go, where's my identity? Is it in Christ where it should be? Should my focus be about doing the will of the Father? Or is it in the crowds and the naysayers? Oftentimes, if I'm vulnerable enough to you guys, what people say really does affect me. And the crowds, it's hard to go against the crowds if you're anything like me. If we were to fall more in love with God, if we were to know his face and his face alone, that would be our drive. 
right? We would find our identity in who Jesus is. Let's go to verse 52. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but what? Asleep. This, this speaks volumes as to us of the makeup of humans and especially as Christians. This lifeless girl of 12 years old is sitting there and I think Jesus is looking at her and he goes, hey, be quiet. She's not dead. And they're like, no, she's dead. Like, cold, dead. He goes, no, she's not dead. She's just asleep. It's a great promise to us as Christians, as believers here. We are not these bodies. Do you know that? Like, we are not these physical bodies, our sarks, our flesh. We are, we are not this. There's a spirit that's in us. And Jesus says, once we ask Jesus to come into our life, God to come into our life, and we surrender control to Jesus, his spirit comes into us, and that is who we are, not this flesh, which excites me, because here we see this girl of 12 years old, her soul, her soul, her real being, leaves her body. And her body is just asleep, because her soul is elsewhere. And Jesus speaks the soul back into her. And what happens when the soul comes back into this body? It begins to animate it again, right? I think that's a great illustration. Even in our life right now, if you are so concerned with your hair and how it looks and looking the proper way and, and man, how do I get rid of these wrinkles because I'm aging and balding. And If we're so concerned about that, we need to stop because the reality is this is not Aaron Havens. This good-looking shell is not Aaron Havens, <laughs> Right? It's not. And thank God for that because I have a soul that's lost in Jesus Christ and found in Jesus Christ. And think about it this way. Our soul, all our soul does is animate this human skeleton. And that is so exciting to me. We should not fear death. Does anyone fear death? If you fear death, then stop unless you're not a Christian. Then you should fear death. But don't fear death. This girl is asleep and Jesus brings her back to life. Who are we in Christ? Are we alive in him? Man. Go to this last part and I'll, and I'll end here. This, verse 54. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. My child, get up. My child, get up. He gives a command to this girl for life. He gives a command. He says, here's life again. He speaks, speaks breath into her. Here's life Get up. The power of Jesus' word, the power of his breath. He says, get up, child, who's dead, who's laying there. You're just asleep. And this is an invitation for us as well. For us today, wake up. Come alive. My child, Jesus is looking at us right now, and he's saying, my child, get up. What's holding you back? What is pressing in on you? What feels like it's crushing you right now? Are you lost in who you think you may be or may not be or what you do or what you don't do? Are you feeling like you are asleep or dead right now? And Jesus is whispering to every single one of us, wake up, wake up. When we find our life in him, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. When we're concerned about this animated body, it's going to be a hard life. Can I read some things to you? For those of you that are on our mailing list this morning, you got an email. Because oftentimes I go through this. Because oftentimes I struggle with who I am in Christ. Do you? Maybe that's just me. 
oftentimes I, I really need to refocus who I am because I've gotten off focus and I've put a lot of attention into the things I do, right? So oftentimes when I get to that moment, I have to refocus and I have to, I have to reread scripture knowing who I am in Christ, knowing who I am in Christ. Because if that's the only thing that matters, then that should be the thing that I focus on, right? Finding out who I am in Christ and focusing on that. Not worried about the crowds and the naysayers, but who I am in Christ. So I emailed this to everyone on the mailing list. If, if you did not get that, then you're not on the mailing list. So you can, you can uh, that connection card right there, you can write that, write down your email, your phone number, whatever. Put that in the offering plate and I'll, I'll email it out to you as well. But every time I go through verses like this, People come up and they're like, where's that list? I want that list. And so just, just if you would, maybe just close your eyes for a little bit and think about this. Don't write this down. Don't take notes. Just think about this. You're not part of the crowd. Who cares what the naysayers are saying? As followers of Jesus Christ, this is who you are. So accept this. I have a greater one living in me. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. 1 John 4.4 4. I have put off the old man and have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him who created me. Colossians 3.9 and 10 I have no lack for my God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 I am forgiven of all my sins and washed in the blood. Ephesians 1.7 I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. Isaiah 53.5 and 1 Peter 2.24 I am greatly loved by God. Do you know that? I am greatly loved by God. I won't even say all the places he says that. Romans 1.7 is a good place. When we begin to find our identity in who we are instead of who Christ created us to be, or we begin to look for the crowds to tell us what's right in our life is the moment that we are off track and we've lost focus of who we are in Christ and who his power is. In this place, I would invite all of us just to close your Bibles and let God work in your heart a little bit with this. If you're comfortable with it, just close your eyes and Hold out your hands in, in front of you. Just say, God, I accept what you're showing me today. And I want to ask us some questions, some very good questions to think about because I've spoken a lot of words and I, I pray that God is revealing some incredible truth to you right now. But this is the moment where you get to collide with God and it gets to affect your life where change happens, where love, where healing, where restoration happens in this moment. So let's just spend a couple moments in silent here. Just ask God to show you who he is. Just begin to talk with God right now in this moment. I want to ask us some questions this morning. Do the crowds affect you? Like up, down, and swayed by the wind. Do you get crushed by what people say about you? If that's you, you would say, yeah, man, people's words affect me every single day. In fact, I, I feel terrible today because of what someone has told me. 
or what they've spoken into my life. If that's you, would you just bottle that up and put it in your hands and ask God to take that from you? Would you ask God to show you who he is, who you are in him? Do the crowds affect you? What's God showing you right now? What's he speaking to you? Here's another question. How have you come to Jesus? Is it desperate? Are you desperate for him? Do you want to see him? Do you want to touch him? Do you want to be with him? How are you coming to Jesus? Even in this place this morning, are you coming desperate, saying, God, I've tried everything that I know I need you? Or you, do you come full of pride, just saying, oh, let's try this God thing? See, Jesus heals those that are desperate for him. What's something desperate in your life right now, today, something you're going through that only you know what you're going through? What's something desperate that you can hold out to him and say, Jesus, I desperately need to touch you and I give you this desperate thing in my life. What is that? Just speak that. Just give that to him today, right where you're at. Some of us, we're like the rich ruler. We have the money, we have the connections, so why do we need Jesus? Some of us, we're like the lady. We've spent a lot of energy and a lot of resources trying on our own, and we need Jesus, though. Where are you in your relationship with God today? Just in your life. Are you living life on your own? Can you say, God, I desperately need you and I surrender control of my life to you? Some of us today, for the very first time today, we've come to realize that life on our own is going to lead nowhere, but we need the love of Jesus Christ to heal us. Without him, we're nothing. Some of us today, we need to just ask God to take control of our life. Just hold your life out and say, God, here it is in my hands. I'm tired of trying on my own. God, would you please take control of my life? I want to know who you are. I'm desperate for you today, God. Do you trust God's timing in your life? waiting for his timing? Or are you trying to push God to your fast agenda? What, what is it? Jesus was never rushed. His timing was always perfect. But yet today we may be anxious about something. This is a great moment just to talk to God about that. Pray about that. Say, God, I'm so anxious about this. Your timing seems crazy to me. God, I, I want to give you control of this. I need help trusting you, knowing that your timing is perfect. And as Jesus took the hand of this child, this lifeless child, and 
spoke into her. He said, my child, get up. Get up. What is God awakening in you right now, in this moment? What's something that's been dead in you for a while, but Jesus is taking you by the hand and saying, get up. He's whispering it into you. He's pulling it out of you. He's pulling life out of you, saying, get up, my child, get up. Let's do this thing. Some of us, we know God's speaking to us. We've been running from him for a while. We need to hold that out to him and say, God, here it is. Thank you for giving me life today. Jesus is reaching out and touching every one of us today. How will we respond? I want to invite us to stand up right now and just go into a moment of response to what Jesus is doing in our life. For some of us during this time, honestly, we need to pray with someone. Like God is, is doing something in our life, and we need to pray with someone. We have Danny up here on your on your front right. I will be in the back. I would love to pray with you guys. If there's anything that you're going through, and you just say, honestly, I need prayer, and Danny would love to. We, we, I need prayer. For some of us, we're not comfortable with that. So again, the, the card is in your chair, and, and maybe you can just write your prayer down or write what God's doing, and you can put it in the offering basket back over in your in that back right corner over there. Now for some of us, it's just we have experienced the love of God, and he's moving in our life, and the only thing we want to do right now is worship him. And so we're going to have worship. I'd invite us all to just worship and think about the words and give our life to him and say, God, this is it. Without you and no one else. I'm not sure how you're going to respond today, but I pray that today is the day that you respond. I'm in the front. Danny's up here. There's people around here that love you. Let's pray together. Let's worship God together in this moment. God, thank you for bringing us here. I pray that you move. I pray that you do an incredible thing in all of our hearts and minds. Thank you.